here this morning who hasn't accepted that free gift that you offered to Christ. So today would be the opportunity that they take to accept what you have for them. Thank you for the salvation that you give so freely. Thank you for your love that is so deep. Undeniable, undeniable 
that this verse of John 3.16 is the most popular verse of scripture in, in the Bible. It's the most publicized. You can't go to a football game without seeing someone holding up a sign acknowledging this verse. Many Christian football players put the John 3.16 in their eye black. I mean, it is everywhere. People are going to throw up a billboard to, to try to share the gospel. If you can do that through a billboard usually, they'll pick this verse. So how do we look at a verse that's so familiar to all of us? We, we just look at it again. And we begin to bring it out of its amazing truth. As I looked at it this week, I was just I was moved again by this verse that I've known since the time I could talk, essentially. I was moved again by, by yes, that's why this verse is so popular, because there's so much beauty here. There's so much communicated in this one sentence. So I want us to start there and look at, it reveals God's love in sending his son. First, we see the Father's love for us. It starts off, for God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. So this God reference is a reference to the Father God, right? Because it says uh, God, uh, he sent his son. So this is in reference to God the Father. And I think that's important. Very important for us to examine. Because sometimes I think... Uh, we can preach the wrath of God, uh, and, and rightly so, we preach the wrath of God that, that the Father had wrath for our sin, and the Son stepped in and, and took the place of that wrath, and which is true. But I think sometimes we can be left with really separating the two acts, the love of the uh, the. the uh, uh, the act of the Son and, and, and the Father's heart. What I mean is sometimes we can see it as this. It's like God the Father is like the parent that's angry. So we, we maybe, let's take an example. We, we, we wreck the car, right? We wreck the car. We, we come home and our parents know that we're being irresponsible and we wreck the car. And we know that they have anger towards us. And then our cooler, uh, more responsible older brother uh, that, that maybe doesn't make many mistakes, he's responsible, he goes in before us and he goes in and he kind of smooths things over with the parents so that when we go in, we're not in quite as much trouble. And I think sometimes we... We get the idea that God's angry at us, and then the Son loves us, and so the Son kind of comes through and intervenes in God's wrath against us. It's untrue. It's untrue. Because we see here, it says, for God so loved the world. It was the Father who loved us. So, so don't think that that the Father did not love us and that Jesus made us where God would love us. No. 
God loved us. It's not because of Christ's work that He loves us. It's Christ's work is because the Father loved us. That's why He sent His Son. So this verse, among many, makes it clear that the love of the Father for, for mankind not only came before the death of Christ, but it was that thing that initiated the death of Christ. He loved us. There's no division in the Trinity where the Son's doing His thing, the Father's doing His thing, the Spirit's doing their thing. They were always unified. And in this great act of redemption, they were all acting because of their love of mankind. And we see here that the Father loved us. Now, it would be amazing if it said that the Father loves us, right? I mean, that in and of itself is beautiful, but in, we are His children, right? He's made us His children, so of course He loves us. He's brought us into His family. But this verse says He loved us. What does that mean? He loved us before we were His. He loved us before we were His. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God looked at you in your sin he looked at you in your rebellion and He said, I love you right now. Which is why He sent His Son. So that you could be made new. See, we're only, we're only in the first few verses and look at the, ama- or the first few words. These amazing truths just come out of this, this verse. We see the sacrificial love of the Father. It says it gave His only Son. The Father so loved us that He gave His only Son for us. We see the sacrificial love of the Father. He didn't demonstrate to us a part measure or a half measure of love. What He did in giving His Son was giving us the ultimate. That thing which He loved and had affection for in eternity past, the thing that He loves more than anything in the universe, He gave us that at the onset. Which is why Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? All good things belong to us because at the onset, the Father gave the best thing. He, loves us from the, he loved us from the beginning in such a way that we never have to ask, is He withholding His love? Is He... Does He really love me? Yeah. He gave you the greatest thing He could possibly give you so that you could be His. 
we also see the scope of God's love. The, the, this verse opens with God so loved the world. Showing that this work is, is going to go way beyond the Jews, right? That this call of the gospel is for the whole world. We should go out and we should share it indiscriminately. It is for the world. The world is lost. And the only work of, only the work of Christ is, is, is what can reconcile it to God. And he continues with this theme as he says that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That whoever believes in Him that when one feels the drawing of the Holy Spirit, no one, no one can say, surely not me. Not me, God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've been damaged. You don't know the depths of sin that I have voluntarily walked through. So when you talk about salvation, not me. To which God says, yes, you! Even you. Because it's not about what you have done or you can do. It's about the amazing work of Christ. You don't have to go get cleaned up. You don't have to go and and, and fix all this stuff in your life and then come back. No, you believe in me. And then the fruit that I will bring about is I will help you change your relationship with me and with sin. Whoever believes, believe in the work of Christ. You say, I can't do it, and you're absolutely right was the work of Christ. It is the work of Christ. It will always be the work of Christ for you. You simply must believe on it. We see in the, the next verse, we see God's purpose in sending His Son. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God did not send Christ to condemn the world. But make no mistake, he could have. If Christ's mission had been to wipe out the rebellion of man, to wipe out mankind, he would have been justified in making that Christ's mission, Christ's purpose. Because we deserved all of us the wrath of God. None of us was ever entitled to anything other than damnation. And yet, God did not send His Son for the purpose of condemnation, but for salvation. Not to destroy us, but to cause us to be born again to eternal life. But the salvation God brought to the world is not automatic. Look what verse 18 says. 
whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Notice it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. There is nothing that one must do to be condemned. We are born in our sin and are, are condemned already. Since Adam sinned, this is the default condition of man. All you have to do is to, to die under the condemnation of God is nothing. Because your sin has condemned you. But whoever believes in Christ is not condemned. I love how Romans 8 begins. Romans 8 is my favorite chapter in all of Scripture, and it opens in this amazing way where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Though we were all once condemned under the wrath of God, God chose to love us and to save us through Christ, and there is now, for those of us that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Think about this in relation to your daily life. You have a father, you have a heavenly father that corrects you. You have a heavenly father that is urging you to better things and pushing you to better things. But you do not have a father who has wrath for you. You don't. If you're in Christ, it's impossible. You have a union with Christ, His Son, that removes all condemnation from God. Between now and your death, from now, between now and the day you die, on your very worst day between now and then, you know what? On that day, you'll not have condemnation from God. Because you're in Christ. And His love and His acceptance of you is not based on your daily performances, but it's based upon the work of Christ and your faith and belief in that. It's amazing to think about. To see how far God has brought us from those who deserved and were under the condemnation of, of God and now has removed every bit of it. That's amazing. Amen. Amen. We've seen God's love for the world in sending His Son. We've seen that He sent His Son into the world to, to, to save mankind. So why are there so many who remain under the curse of sin? And Jesus announces this judgment on uh, the reception of the Son. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Here, once again, we see this beauty of the gospel. Uh, and we saw this in the very opening of, of uh, John, and we'll revisit this uh, when Christmas rolls around. But we see it. The, the gospel and, and the coming of Christ is light into our world. 
I grew up on a dead-end road that was mostly surrounded by woods, and I just remember as a kid just going out and playing too late, um, and, and the sun goes down, and you get turned around in the woods, and, and man, out where we lived, there just weren't many streetlights. There was one by my house, and I remember panicking at times, going, I'm, I'm not going to be able to find my way, but then I would, I would make my way to the edge of the woods, and I would see that wonderful street light that stood in our yard. And I would know I'm going to be okay. And the relief that came with that. And I imagine it's, it's ten times that when that person, when that sailor is lost at sea and he sees that light on the shore knowing that shore is nearby and, and what that must feel like to someone who's lost at sea. That light out of the darkness springs forth a hope that I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be rescued. And that is Christ. That is the beauty of the Gospel. It cuts through the darkness. But the problem is, is that man loves darkness. That's the problem we see here. That people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I can't help but notice the the separation that exists between God's view of man and so many times our own. So many people will say that man is good. Man's basically good. It's society that makes them bad. But people will say, you know, if only, they, if only they could hear the gospel, man, they would receive it and, and suddenly turn their lives around immediately. And the reality is, is that Oftentimes we share the gospel and it is rejected. Why? Because they love the darkness. We, as people, love the darkness. But why does mankind choose darkness? Well, it says because our works are evil. It says in verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The problem people have with light, the light of the gospel is that it exposes us. Now, I imagine this is, Jesus is using an object lesson here. It's night. He's talking to Nicodemus under the cover of night, and he's talking about how people love the darkness. They like to hide their actions because they know deep down that thing that we receive from God, that things are not as they should be, they know deep down that what they're doing is not right, and so they love to hide it in the darkness. Men and women love to think that they're okay, even though they do wicked things, they, they even fool themselves into thinking that they aren't so bad the light of the gospel comes in and shows us that we are far from okay. In fact, we are so bad that the creator of the universe had to send his son into our world to be tortured and to die because of our badness. We're bad. We love our sin. The true gospel of the cross of Christ is the biggest shot against our self-esteem. 
that can possibly imagine, be imagined. In the light of the gospel, we see how, how needy, how needy we are. And that God had to fix what we could never, ever, ever fix on our own. It exposes the great grip that our sin has on us. We do not want to come to the gospel because we feel that in the gospel we may lose some of the sin we love. People reject the gospel because they love their sin more than they love Jesus. That's the brutal truth. That, that God the Father in His amazing love sent, the, sent His Son into our world to be tortured and died for our sins and showed that amazing love. And so many men and women look upon that and say, no, thank you. I love my sin. I love the darkness. And yet, we know that there are those who do come to Christ. They do step into the light, and we hear of them in verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There are those, there are many, there are those who will come to the light. And this, is the, uh, this, this coming to the light is a present tense. It's, it means it's a constant coming. It's, it just means that as a Christian, your relationship to the light has been changed. You love the light. The person who believes in Christ enjoys a new relationship with the truth. They want the truth. They want the Spirit of God through the Word of God, to, dare I say, expose us. We should. That should be in the heart of the Christian is, expose me. Show me what is left of my sin and my selfishness and my pride and my arrogance and my evil desire. Show me all that, God, so that I can learn to count on Christ more. So that I can learn to grow in Him, and to be sanctified. We desire the light to reveal those things to us. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. But we do, as Christians, desire to change, to be, to be brought to Christ through our sins more and more each day. And this is what confirms our belief. We have no fear of exposure because we know that for whatever is exposed has an answer, right? That's why we're not scared to be exposed because the exposed sin has an answer and that answer is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But we do not fear exposure. First John 1, 8 and 9, this uh, apostle John also wrote there, this he says if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so john says hey we have sin but if we confess those sins we have forgiveness we have christ forgiveness we have an answer and that's why